At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Uh. Check it out now. Uh. No doubt now. Uh. It's the Beating the Book podcast. Gil Alexander. Today, another edition of the pod. An odd one, if you will. Focused around the coronavirus itself. Rufus Peabody, professional better, who announced last week via Twitter that he had tested positive for COVID-19. He walks us through his experience from when he first figured out that there was a problem to how he feels now and all the steps in between, including the testing itself. I think it's a story well worth hearing. Might normalize it for some folks, given these very strange times. And then Roxy Roxborough from Phuket, Thailand, with his perspective on everything, not just sports betting-wise, but I'm talking about the virus itself, as someone who has lived through different periods in this world, war times, for instance, and how folks reacted then, how they are reacting now. It's an interesting edition of the Beating the Book podcast, an odd one in odd times. Hope you enjoy it nonetheless. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. It is Gil Alexander live from San Francisco on a numbers game of East and the Sports Betting Network. Um, this will have very little to do with sports or sports betting. I don't know. Maybe we'll stray there somehow. Uh, but this is just about uh, someone uh, that I'm concerned about, though he's going to alleviate those concerns, I think, momentarily. But just a, a friend who uh, announced last week on Twitter that he had tested positive for the coronavirus. And we just want to get a whole story about that, update his health and just sort of walk us through the whole process. There he is, looking good. It's uh, one of the two or three most successful sports betters I know. Looking good. Rufus Peabody, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. You probably just don't know enough sports betters. <laughs> Maybe I don't. I don't know. It's very modest of you. So look, man, um, first of all, let's start at the end. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling great. I'm, I'm 100%. I've been symptom-free for almost just about two weeks at this point. I guess the only symptom that lingered was the sort of dulling of my sense of taste, which 
you know, it's mostly back now. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's all the way back, but it's base. I mean, you know, I, I can, I can taste what wine tastes like again, rather than the Pinot I had last week, which, um, I thought had turned or something. And, and my fiance was like, this tastes great. You know, this was a, a nice bottle of Pinot that we had gotten when we were in Sonoma. And, and I was like, this is, it tastes like vinegar, but, um, but I'm, taste, I is, great. taste is an abstract thing, isn't it? Like you almost will forget what it was like. You're not sure if it's all the way back kind of thing. Can we, let's start at the beginning, if we could, Rufus, because you're sure. like 14 days quarantine now. You're at the 14 day mark, I think today. What yeah, was I, I was first... released today, by the way. I'm, I'm, allowed, today? I'm allowed to go free. So you I have got, I got a call from for 14 days. Health. I have so I was out of the apartment last Tuesday to get tested, and I guess before that I had the the first week before I knew I was positive I had taken trips to the grocery store. Um, but aside from that, um, and that was before I had any idea I, I had coronavirus. Obviously, if I once once I had a sense that I might have it, I obviously stayed inside and didn't go to the grocery store. But yeah, it was basically um, I mean it was it was a full week without leaving the apartment and. Uh, I guess before that, uh, another five days um, before that, where I basically left only to go to the grocery store. Okay, let's let's start at the beginning because I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. What was the what okay. was the first moment? I mean, did did you feel a, did you have a symptom? Did you hear that someone close to you had it? Um, how did this begin for you? So I guess in how it actually began, I think is different um, in retrospect. So I was traveling, I was in California for, um, for this sort of professional betters ski trip thing. Um, and then went, was in Colorado for a wedding and, and went skiing with some friends in Vail, uh, and then came back to Boston for the Sloan sports analytics conference. And I didn't sleep well that Wednesday night. And so I, Thursday, I felt a little bit, I just felt tired. Um, I don't know if that in retrospect now, I'm like, maybe I, I had it and didn't know. Um, I don't know. Um, but Saturday morning is the first I really felt like off. I mean, I, I had a, I had this headache, um, but I had been out late Friday night. Um, it is the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. People do go out kind of hard. And so yeah. Friday night was a late night. So Saturday, I mean, I thought I was just a little hungover. I, I didn't think anything of it. And I felt, you know, fatigued, but I just was like, well, you know, I had a late night. I have a headache. Um, that's it. That was the extent of, of the symptoms at that point and just felt like kind of lethargic. Uh, but on Sunday, the headache uh, was a little bit worse. Uh, you know, I, I felt I, I sort of had the chills on Sunday a little bit. Um, so probably a slight fever. I didn't take my temperature or anything. But my fiance got sick that um, I guess she she got sick on, or in, I guess, Monday afternoon and was was home from from work that entire week. And that's when, you know, I sort of. Uh, realized, I guess, that, um, you know, maybe I was, maybe I had given it to her. And obviously that, that, that's what happened. That you had given it to her. Um, oh, I'm sure. Do you, cause I've been traveling, she hadn't been traveling or anything. I, and yeah. and I, from what somebody told me, Vail is actually kind of a hotbed. It's it, it, at least in terms of within Colorado for the coronavirus. And, you know, I'd been on, I'd been on planes. I'd been, you know, with the, you know, with a bunch of people, um, I mean, there's, I, I'm sure I got it somewhere in my travels. Did she still want to get married to you even after that? Is she still in? Uh, She's all in? You know, 
the, the, the quarantine has been, uh, it, it's, it's tested us a little bit, but uh, she's, yeah, we're, 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 yeah. Still, the, we're yeah. still both gung-ho. Well, if you can get through this, Rufus. You can get through it all. Uh, congratulations to you, by the way, on that. I should say nice. on your uh, on your uh, pending nuptials. Um, so, okay. So you then I guess you're like, okay, well, I gotta get tested. So this is also very vague because we talk about this in media all the time. Oh, they're getting tested. So what do you do? Do you walk up and I'm not trying to, well, maybe I'm trying to be funny, but maybe I'm not. Where Do you just walk in somewhere and you're like, hey, I'm Rufus Peabody. I'm awesome at NFL props. Where's my test? Like, where do you, like, how do you get it? Because it's not readily available to everybody, I don't believe. Right. I don't think I, in retrospect, probably didn't need to be tested because I, I wasn't really showing symptoms. I think, you know, I said I had a little bit of a cough because I had a mild cough. But I, um, you know, I, I got tested because my fiance is a doctor. And so that was the protocol at the time. They wanted me to get tested as well. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I went to Mass, Mass General Hospital and, and they had they turned a parking lot into sort of a testing area. And, you know, I gave them my information and I was in and out pretty quickly. But but I remember when I was talking to them, they said that I was one of the last people that was going to be tested that didn't really have sort of life threatening symptoms. They were just telling because. They said, you know, this is going to go through the population. We're just, you know, people need to just stay at home if, if unless they need medical attention. Wait, they said you were one of the last people who did who wouldn't have life-threatening symptoms. Is that what they said to you? That was getting tested. Yeah, I mean, at wow. least there. I mean, I think a lot of because yeah. they're having to prioritize the people that that most need, you know, medical attention, most need those tests because, you know, they don't have that many tests. Can I, can I ask a very ignorant question? What is the test? Um, they stick this little swab up your nose, like, and it feels like they're trying to like poke through your brain. It's quite uncomfortable. They do it on Ooh. both nostrils. Yeah. Oof. So like, can't they just can they just take blood or something? Like a shot would have been better. By the way, in in no form, like I've watched CNN or whatever media outlet nonstop for the last you know two weeks nonstop. I've not heard one person say they jam a swab up and try to like. <laughs> and that's the test. That's that's terrible. So, and how quickly did you know your results? I didn't know my results until I think it was Saturday morning. But I, I was pretty pretty damn sure that I was positive, given the fact that I've been living you with knew. my fiance in an apartment. So, I mean, I, I knew, I knew. Yeah, Rufus, do me a favor. Can you hang out through a break? Because I want to talk to you about a little bit more about this. I know it's all normal for you at this point, but it's all new to us. Uh, Rufus Peabody, kind enough to join us on the show uh, to give us his experience about testing positive for. The coronavirus. We'll come back right here on a numbers game at Feeson. Welcome back to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. Normally, Rufus Peabody has to sweat Jim Furyk on a championship Sunday. Uh, this was a much bigger sweat uh, in his uh, life. Coronavirus. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, were you nervous at any point, Rufus? I wasn't. Uh, you know, my symptoms were mild. I'm. I'm very fortunate. I know a lot of other people have had had it a lot worse than I have. I know um, other people in the betting community as well uh, have. I mean, I know Spanky has mentioned on Twitter the symptoms he's had. And it sounds like he's had a real battle, but he's he's coming oh, out. Wow. It seems like. Oh, I didn't know that. All right. Well, well, I gotta get with Spanky and see if he's all right. Yeah. Um, so, so look, like you you mentioned, you were at the Sloan Sports Conference, so. You know, and, and I'm not and I really am not trying to be funny, but the only thing I think about is like, you know, so many people's story in college when there's a an STD, you have to contact all of your previous partners like, hey, you know, just so you know, I tested positive for this. You may want to check, too. 
did you learn of anyone at Sloan who ended up positive? Did you have to contact people that you were in close proximity to? So actually, one of the reasons I did get tested is because I did go to the conference. I, my fiance told the, you know, the people she talked to, public health or, you know, um, I forget who it was, but but told them that I'd been at this this conference with a lot of people, and so I think that's one reason they wanted me to get tested. And so after, you know, that's why, and that is the reason I did end up. Um, tweeting that out. And, and before that, I had told people that I thought I was positive, people that I had been in close proximity with at Sloan. And um, unfortunately, a few of those people, um, I think, have have tested positive and a few look like they have it um, despite not having gotten tested. So um, yeah. I feel I feel pretty bad about that. I didn't. Obviously, if I had known that I had it, I would not have um, I would not have gone to the conference. Yeah, no, I think people are aware that you wouldn't have, have done anything purposefully. Uh, I asked this of Roxy, your buddy Roxy, uh, as well as mine. Roxy Roxborough uh, was on the show from Thailand just before you. And I asked him because he has obviously decades of, of experience that he's wise. And I just wanted to get his perspective on what he's, you know, the, the thing that's impacted him the most from all this, what's disappointed him the most about the, the world's reaction to the pandemic. And he had some pretty poignant words. And I'm just curious as a guy who tested positive and is now hopefully all the way through this, what, as you, from your perspective, which is a very unique one, as you look out at how Americans specifically, let's say, are reacting to this, anything jump to mind for you? Like, yeah, we could, you know, this is good. This isn't so good kind of thing that we're doing. Well, I think we needed to sort of address this earlier than we did. It seemed like the warning signs were all there. And, and I know, um, People, there was there's people I follow on Twitter much smarter than myself, like like Ed Miller, who were tweeting out about um, about uh, the seriousness of this all the way back in late January and early February. And so, I think if we had sort of learned from from what South Korea did and sort of testing everybody uh, and 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 tracking down where they'd been and everything like that, I think we could have done a better job controlling this. But but it's hard. I mean, it's tough. And I think that what we're doing now in terms of the sort of the stay at home shelter in place stuff um, is while it's awful for the economy, I think it's it's probably necessary at this point. But it is interesting that the sort of trade off here with with public health versus versus the economy at this point, I feel like um, I know that I know uh, Trump and some of the conservatives have been talking about, well, is this, you know, is, are the, is, you know, is, is it worth it? And I, I don't have the answer to that. I mean, I think, but I do think we need to be prioritizing health more than the economy. And hopefully at some point um, the economy is able to bounce back. Yeah, I think I would agree with that sentiment. Um, let me just let me just sort of try to crowbar something sports betting related into this. Um, it's actually not that difficult. Uh, I had someone at bookmaker. I think uh, you, you're a guy would love to get the opinion, uh, your opinion on this. Someone at bookmaker, um, relayed, or at least I got this from somebody at bookmaker that on Saturday, this past Saturday, so no poker and no Chris, just bookmaker specifically that site. This past Saturday, so we're talking what esports, random tennis that's not even like top, you know, level tennis, ping pong, Australian rules football, whatever, all these random sports that are going on marginally in the world. Just on Saturday alone, no poker, just bookmaker, one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars in handle. And I thought about that all day Sunday, and I'm just like, if this isn't like lesson number one in how gambling or in sports betting specifically here is 
A, it's got to be addictive, right? People are just action junkies, a, a segment. We're just talking about segments now. And just like the inability of, of people to, to just stop and be like, yeah, this is not something I would ever bet on. Why should I do it now? And I just thought I was like, I'm going to ask Rufus's reaction to something like that because <laughs> to me that should be like the first thing that's ever said on any Gamblers Anonymous thing. Like we did $125,000 in handle on a day where nothing was going on. It's amazing. Or maybe yeah, I shouldn't I be surprised. I mean, I think it shows how big the offshore betting world is, and, and I wonder what the limits were on those bets too. I right, think, probably. You small. know, this, that was one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, like you know, two hundred and fifty dollars at a time, probably. <laughs> That's right, like one one burrito at a time, as they say. Yeah, no, it's absolutely, it's it's amazing to me. Did, would this be a time? And you were you were texting me this the other day, like, and you've gone through it, and I know you weren't worried, so I don't want to like exaggerate the the fear factor here, but this would be a time where you would now start your great time, as great a time as there has ever been, where there's no sports to distract you. You would do your research and development, as you call it, with your handicapping now. Yeah, I mean. Unfortunately, I've been quite distracted. It, it's kind of hard to get away from the news and everything. And, and also, um, my fiance and I are both in, in the part in the apartment, so we're. I mean, it's 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 not the best work environment necessarily. Um, although she's working from home now, so uh, we we, we by, have. By the way, like, I'm she, in the den she and she's doing out. well too. Is she she's doing, doing well great. too? I should ask. She's yeah. great. Yeah. Was you know, she what's worried? Been interesting is, um, was she worried? I don't think she was worried about her own health. Um, I mean, she she had it worse than I did. She had, um, but she got through it. I mean, she had bad symptoms for maybe three days, but we have to take our temperature. Um, we had, we had somebody from public health calling us every day, and we had to report our temperature in the morning and the afternoon. And so, um, if she had let me, I would have totally tweeted out a picture of our whiteboard uh, because it's been interesting the patterns. Um, uh, and I, I would have wanted to get people to set a line on it. Instead, I texted a few buddies, um, including you, Gil. Yeah, uh, you about you said. So explain to people what you did. This is oh, very yeah. So I mean, so it was really interesting. There was a four-day pattern where in the morning I would have the lower temperature, and in the afternoon or in the, at night she would have the higher temperature, um, and it was you know every single day um, for four straight days. And so I, I was curious whether people thought that would be uh, just how much signal was you know how much signal there was in there versus how much it was just sort of randomness. And, and what right. the confounding so, factors were. I, I, so my temperature would increase throughout the day. Like it was like 97 point something in the morning and then it would be like 98 point something at night. And hers was sort of the opposite. And so um, I found it fascinating. But today we actually, um, we or we tied last night for the first time and I was actually higher than she was this morning. So it's, it's kind of, um, yeah, I would have lost yeah. the money betting on it actually. It's, it's hard to explain over the radio. So yeah, without the whiteboard itself, but basically your temperature at night would be more than a degree higher than hers. Like yours would, yours would be more bouncy, your temperature from morning to night. And you, I think the question you asked was, would you lay minus 400 that my temperature would be higher than my fiance's based on like a five or four day sample size kind of thing. And so it's kind of a, a good sports betting case study where it's like signal or noise. Is this enough to go on to lay that kind of juice on something like that? And what was your conclusion ultimately? It was a, my conclusion was that it was signal. I mean, I know that yeah. people in general, we're, 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 we, we tend to see patterns where none actually exist, but 
my temperature was she, her temperature was about a degree higher than mine every morning and mine was about a degree higher than hers every night so it wasn't i mean it wasn't like just a small amount it was it was quite quite significant it's awesome it's awesome that you came up with that uh <laughs> exercise to go through all right so the both of you are okay you're both going to be okay um by the way did that temperature fluctuation did you ever call a doctor and say hey is this something i should be worried about or were you just I don't know, I mean, once, so we have the the ear thermometers that um the instant thermometer things and so we do each ear and take the higher of the two and once i like i got like 94.1 or something i think there was an error so because she said i would wow. be dead if that was actually my temperature rufus was our first it was our first true evidence that you in fact are the robot we always thought you were like this guy he will not enter emotion into his sports betting um and there it is there's the evidence so okay the both of you are going to be okay so glad to hear that i've never met your fiance but tell her we're, we're all glad uh when are you getting married when is the date we are getting married um march 20th of next year march 20th of next year where hopefully all so, of this will have gone by yeah we just celebrated our negative one year anniversary is that what you're calling it? Your negative one year anniversary? Well, is that your is that your thing? It's also my it's also my sister's birthday, so I'm never gonna forget it. Lizzie, please tell Lizzie, Lizzie say hello. Is she is she still podcasting? She is. Lizzie is actually um, she's running a podcast for the Smithsonian, the Smithsonian's podcast. She, let me just say this: as talented as Rufus is in sports betting, and I hope you won't object to this, Rufus. Lizzie. Uh, from the very first moment that I ever heard, ever heard her do a podcast, there is something about her nature that draws you in. She is spectacular at what she does, and I hope she pursues it uh, for as long as she wants to. Maybe she has bigger aspirations. I don't know. No, she's so it's it's I'm going to give it a plug. It's called Side Door. It's the Smithsonian's podcast. It's really interesting. And um, there was one particular episode on I think it was Apollo 12, the 50th anniversary of Apollo 12. It was, it was really interesting, though. Um, and it's not the stuff that I would normally be interested in, but it was, it, 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 it's great storytelling. Makes All history right. come Rufus, to life. Rufus, thank you for doing this. Great to see you. I think you gave a lot of people comfort just in telling the story, just sort of normalizing it a bit. Glad you're doing well. Congratulations again. Best to you, man. Good to see your face. Thanks, Gil. Stay safe out there. Rufus or Peabody. Uh, or in there, exactly. Everybody should be... Uh, quarantining as i am here in the uh the place in san francisco that i have here as you should be in your spot wherever you are stay safe it's a numbers game with your host gil alexander our number two of a numbers game right here at Visa the Vegas Stats and Information Network, the first sports betting network in all the land. It's Gil Alexander, again, live from San Francisco, Sirius XM Channel 204, VEASAN.com, the VEASAN app, Fubo Sling Game Plus on down the line. Appreciate you taking us in today. Um, it is surreal these times, and it is, uh, like I said, it's like living in a sci-fi movie. I just got a text from uh, Seth Walder from ESPN, does great analytics stuff for ESPN.com. Um, and he was just mentioning just sort of a text, a random text where he said, I was on your show. He said he was just checking. I was on your show exactly two weeks ago. 
And it seems like it was a different year. And I think it's really how it's really a great reflection of how most people think about this. The speed with which events have taken place and just the surreal nature of it all, it's mind boggling. I had this gentleman on the show a little before I had Seth on. So a few weeks back, that seems like a different era. We come to him now or we or he comes to us, I should say from Phuket, Thailand, and shout out to the guys behind the glass for making it happen. Once again, it's our friend, friend of show, friend of network, the legendary Roxy Roxborough. Good evening, Roxy, or I should say, uh, it's, but what is it, 10 p.m. there? How you doing? Hey, it is evening, uh, Gil, and uh, I would call this the year of going uh, nowhere fast. Yeah, I mean, when, first of all, Glad to hear your voice. Glad to hear you're you're doing well and safe there. When did you leave Las Vegas? How much of it was precipitated by the fact that you felt um, that, and let's be honest, that a gentleman of, of your age might want to get out of that sort of epicenter? Well, I made, I was in uh, Santa Anita, I think, March 7th and 8th for the Big Cap weekend, and I had plans to fly back to Thailand, and I was thinking about it. I changed. I didn't go through Korea, and I didn't go through Bangkok. I changed the plane at the last minute to go to Singapore and then changed straight to Phuket. Now, if I had waited three or four days, I might not have gone back, uh, hmm. only because of the travel. I'm, if I had to be isolated in one place, my Phuket home would be the one. But the information was changing so fast, so three or four days later, I probably would, would have stayed in Las Vegas. You you tweeted something about it where you felt, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe I'm not quoting this, no, this is just paraphrasing, that you felt that uh, Vegas casinos were, is it fair to say that you felt they were a little slow on the draw in closing things up? I did. Um, I, from Mostly from a monetary standpoint, though, I thought that if Las Vegas got to be known as the uh, epicenter of uh, – COVID-19 in America would do uh, irreparable damage, and the losses would be much larger than they would be if they closed early. Um, some people in the industry sort of agreed with it, some not. Uh, they got to this spot probably a little week a week later than they than they should have. Um, but you know, it's a, it brings to it brings also up the concept of uh, bailouts for casinos or long-term loans to casinos. And this is a pretty interesting question because if you picked a couple of businesses that were probably the least benefit to society, casinos and tobacco <laughs> would be right up there in the top five. That's right. Uh, however, they become such an integral part of state revenues in every state where they're legal, um, that you just can't let them go down the tubes. They're, they're a line item in the budget. Um, they're needed in every state for revenue now. And there probably will be, as loathsome as it is, and this is somebody who spent his entire life gambling, there will have to be um, some assistance, federal assistance. You could say it should rely on the states to do it, but... Um, the states don't have the wherewithal of the federal government. Just, they, they can't start printing money. So it will be a package to help the casinos. I mean, and you must realize, Roxy, <clears throat> by the way, you can follow Roxy on Twitter at Roxy Las Vegas. Uh, great follow. Always has 
very, very philosophical things to share with us. I mean, you must realize that when people hear casinos are seeking bailouts, it and even and this applies even to gamblers, it just pisses people off. That's their knee-jerk reaction to that. Yes, I mean, they're a pretty good multiplier for the economy in that the dollars that they earn are higher many more employees than just the employees uh, in the casinos. And I keep going back to that they're a big part of state revenue. Of course, in Nevada, it's mostly state revenue. So it's, uh, it's different for most places. But I, I'm pretty sure that, well, people were loath to give the banks a bailout in 2018 or 2008, but that was a systemic issue for the yeah. financial system. Um, and also, we didn't know if there were, when it was going to be over in 2008. And um, this thing looks like it'll, you know, there will be a conclusion. There is uh, light at the end of the tunnel with the coronavirus. It might be six months down the road. It might be a year down the road. But I, I think most people think that eventually um, the world will get a, uh, a grip on it and it'll decline. Where the financial crisis uh, looked like a collapse of the financial system, and there wasn't any um, clear way that there was going to be a timeline when the uh, normalcy would return. Talking to Roxy Roxborough from uh, Phuket, Thailand. Um, we'll get to your – I know we want to get to your story about uh, the late Tony Salinas momentarily, so we'll uh, mm -hmm. cheer it up a little. But last thing about uh, the pandemic that is the coronavirus. Um, from your standpoint and from all your observations throughout your years, what has been the thing about this, Roxy, that has that has been the most noteworthy to you? Is it the way that people have reacted um, in so many different ways? Some people, you know, slow to the take on this, where they're like, ah, it's nothing. Uh, some people who were overly, you know, who maybe the, maybe the pendulum swung in the other direction. Or, or, or just what is it about this, just from a human observation standpoint, where you've been like, huh, didn't didn't really expect that, or that's interesting? Well, I'm a little disappointed that everybody's in this for themselves. Uh, Gil, you know that our parents and our grandparents lived through two devastating world wars um, and the Spanish flu, and uh, duty became a calling card in their life. They did things for the better of the country and society. They also lived through a depression that really where there's no light at the end of the tunnel, and the only light at the end of the tunnel was to get involved in a world war that, w that at one time had 25% of the men in the country unemployed and, and with no chance to ever get a job. And so they, our parents and grandparents learned uh, thrift and they uh, learned duty. And for some reason, um, the message didn't sink in too well to my generation and then the generations after me. And I think that's a bit of a disappointment. I think that's uh, – those are words that I think, you know, if people agree or disagree, those are words to ponder. I think that's, that's about as good a perspective as, as we're going to get on this. Thank you for that, Roxy. I appreciate it. Uh, 
segueing, and there's no artful way to segue to this from that, because um, we hope the best for everybody. We hope everybody stays safe. Uh, but nine days ago, a legendary Las Vegas gambler, uh, you knew him far better than I did. I will tell you that I knew Tony Salinas only from my observation of him in the early part of last decade, I would see him on a pretty regular basis, Roxy, uh, coming in and out of the Hard Rock Hotel. Tony was always accompanied um, by someone, uh, a lady friend, let's call it. And uh, he seemed to be having just a wonderful time even into his later years. But you've known him for decades, and he was a uh, he was a champion of contests, uh, just a colorful character. And you you have your favorite Tony Salinas story to share with us today. Well, I have a few of them. Um, I, first of all, if he only came in with one young lady, things must have been sort of slow. Uh, <laughs> back in Texas, they'd call those honky-tonk angels, or back in the old joints, you know, in Arkansas, sawdust angels. In the 70s, we called them carpet angels. And they were just uh, young ladies that were trying to find the uh, fast track to high living. And he was a magnet for them. And he really was uh, a, a colorful character. He spent money like crazy. Um, he came out here in the late 70s, I'm going to say 78. And he went on a roll. It was unbelievable. He was playing high limit poker, and he started winning at sports just about everything. In 1980s, he won the uh, 1980s, he won the Castaway Football Championship, which was uh, the only contest um, at the time. And he was good at publicity. He really could roll out a PR machine. He had that soft-spoken Southern. Uh, uh, gentlemanly way about him, always had a hat, boots, uh, wore a jacket, and uh, a string tie. And uh, he, he just was a, a high roller and a very nice guy. He did some things which I never could understand if you're a gambler, but he used to play in the highest poker games in town. And then a couple of weeks later, two, three weeks later, you see him playing five and ten. <laughs> and you'd look at him and he'd say, hey, it's better to be playing than not, you know, it's it's better to be playing, what was he, I'll get it out, it's better to be broken playing than not playing at all. Yeah. He could just, I, yeah, I mean, to me, I never could get my, around uh, the mindset around that, that people could be gambling really high, betting ti uh, 10 dimes on an NFL game and three weeks later betting uh, 220. But, um, it was just a mindset that he had. He always had confidence he was going to get back in action. And he was a pretty fancy tout. A lot of people, uh, he got quite a reputation in Texas, and people came out to um, uh, want to follow Tony around, and he'd give him picks, and he'd charge him for picks. One thing he did was pretty interesting. He started a really sophisticated newsletter um, called hmm. The High Roller, I believe it was. This was in the early 80s. And he had a staff that included Arnie Lang and Mike Lee. And then he had the Longhorn Club, which is the one where he, uh, for a lot of money, he could get his picks. And he was, that was, it's more of a smart, smart man's tout 
than as opposed to like Ed the Professor or Horowitz. Um, I'll tell you one one story. We were drinking at the bar in the Stardust. They had a piano bar in there. We were having a few drinks, and uh, a couple of guys were supposed to meet him there, young guys in the early 20s. And uh, what happened, they'd gone broke in Las Vegas, and they, their parents uh, told them to look up Tony. He'd give you money to come home. So uh, Tony uh, gave him a free roll of dice for a couple hundred each, and they lost it. Then he came down and had a drink, and he gave the waitress 50 bucks to tell the piano player to sing Whiskey River. And then he looked at those guys and said, you know, I know what's happening. You think old Tone's going to give you the money to go home. But I ain't going to do it because you won't ever learn nothing. (laughs) That was Tony. (laughs) You know, he could drop money left and right. Probably the bus ticket home back then was twenty dollars, but that—that uh, that was Tony. You had you had another. You said you had a couple stories about him too. Was there another one you wanted to tell, or is that the one? Well, well, that 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 was that was one of his most famous ones. We used to go uh, to a disco in town called the Brewery, and. Um, it was it was the hot place to get into at the time, and uh, they had a rule, no hats. Tony never took his hat off. And at one time with the doorman, they were going back and forth whether, you know, $50 to wear the hat. They said, no, it was $100 to wear the hat. It's 200 to wear the hat. They said, no. So he takes the hat off. He sends one of the gals to the back and uh, to go to the kitchen with $50 in it. And Tony goes into the club, and then all of a sudden somebody comes out of the kitchen with the hat and gives it to him. So he was just uh, just a character. I mean, I don't think we get any more of those people left. I mean, he has license plates. Any Texan who was a gambler would have to have a Cadillac, long white Cadillac. That's that's just the way it was. Now, in uh, 1978 or 79, uh, Cadillac came out with this uh, Seville Grand Opera Coupe. It was a bizarre-looking car. It was really uh, hard to get. They didn't make many of them. Salinas and uh, Gary Austin put in orders for them. And when they got them delivered, his license plate was T-Sal, T-S-A-L, and then he just Mm -hmm. became known as T-Sal after that. He was ahead of his time with that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you're so well, what right. What do they though, call that? Poor, you're a man of letters. What's that? A portmanteau or? Uh, actually, I don't know what they call that. All I know is that in, in today's modern vernacular, whether it's like, you know, C. Webb, Chris Webb, or like that's how that's how guys are referred to yeah. these days. J-Lo, yeah, that kind of thing. Fr- I think it's a, yeah, it's a French word called portmanteau when you take, for example, I, I let like you down. Um, uh, motel. Is a portmanteau. I think I've oh. got it right, but oh, I think I, I'm, I'm, I think you are. But you're so right. Like someone like him. I mean, could you imagine if someone tried to be him today? Like, let's say Roxy. Let's say I decided. Let's say I decided tomorrow. You know, <laughs> I'm going to change my brand. I'm going to put on a massive cowboy hat or whatever it is, and just be this larger mm-hmm. life character. Like people would just 
die laughing. Not, not just because it's me, but I'm just saying anybody who tried to be a character today, and I was talking to Chrissy yesterday because he was kind enough to tell some of his stories yesterday, and we were talking about Crying Kenny. I told your famous Crying Kenny story, by the way, about the uh, downtown Freddie Brown <laughs> under. Am oh, I going to hit every sure. shot in this game? But <laughs> you think about characters like that, it just they, they couldn't exist today. They wouldn't be allowed to exist, you know? They wouldn't. I think one of the reasons that these characters existed in the late 70s and early 80s was there was a transition then in Las Vegas from going to sports books to uh, sports books only into casinos with sports books. And the casinos in the early days sort of tolerated uh, a lot of that behavior. They just figured, okay, this is... Uh, this is what you get when you get the sports book. And then eventually they decided, no, it's it's not uh, up to the standards they want their property to be. And these characters started disappearing over over time. Um, the race book had a lot of characters like that also. But no, you, you couldn't do it today. Now, I don't know. I mean, you, how you build a brand image um, like Tony's probably wouldn't work today. No, Although, no, I don't think so. You know, I think... I think Vegas Dave's shtick is pretty bad, and he gets people to send him money. So, boy, it's a great, it's a great point. <laughs> it's not like it's, it's not like it's absent, is isn't it? Um, by the way, I have Tony Salinas stories. I mentioned this yesterday. I have a Tony Salinas story, but I absolutely can't share it on the air. Um, one day, perhaps I will. Whenever I write my book, Roxy, if I ever do. Um, I, I leave you with this, and and I said this to Michael Lombardi last segment. There's no way I could possibly. Uh, you know, ask you the unfair question of, hey, when do you think this all ends? But for someone with your sort of instinct on things like this and your knowledge of baseball history and strikes and shortened seasons, truncated seasons, what do you think baseball right now, they're thinking to themselves, what do you think they they would settle for? Like, what's the worst case scenario where we'd see a season here? Yeah, I think the, there's got to be a cutoff date probably around August 1st. I mean, I think that's pushing it. But uh, I don't see them playing the studio game. Studio sports aren't going to work because as soon as the players are infected, what difference does it make? That's the one thing that people don't understand. All they say, they'll just play without crowds. But once the players get infected or start spreading among themselves, so that, to me that's a non-starter. Um, you know, baseball is – Baseball's like an old friend. Uh, you really happy when when you when you see him, and he's always in your life. And this will be uh, well, uh, barring the strike year, this will be the time we don't have any baseball. I, I remember uh, this is a little philosophical, but when I used to work with the Vancouver Canucks, well, like in the late '60s, and uh, the announcer drove me home uh, after like an eight to one game. Jim Robson, the legendary Vancouver announcer, and he told me that, uh, you know, even if the game's bad, you have to put your best into it because there's always a lot of people out there, they they can't get out. They have medical problems or they're lonely, and they depend on you. So you always have to give your best. And I think there's going to be, there's a lot of people that um, watch their local team um, all 162 games, uh, which, you know, it's hard for us to believe that you could watch a, a team, even a bad team, play every game of the year. But there's a lot of people, that's their life, and I think that's the disappointing part of it. 
Yeah. Roxy, uh, it's great to talk to you. I could talk to you about anything, sports or otherwise. And uh, I think I speak on behalf of everybody. We appreciate the uh, perspective, especially what you said earlier about the thing that uh, sort of disappointed you the most about all this. Because I think those are words that people should uh, should definitely pay heed to. What are you doing the rest of the night in Phuket? Raging? What's going on? Hey, there's nothing to do. We're shut down like uh, <laughs> most of the world. Uh, I'm just uh, sitting around, uh, wasting too much time on the internet. However, I am. I actually, this is the incentive I needed to start to put together my book. So I'm actually starting outlines on it, and I'm uh, the outline I'm using is the players, the layers, and the language. So I've got a list of the people that I want to mention from the betting side and the bookmaking side, and then my language. Uh, Thank you so much, Roxy. I appreciate it. Stay safe. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.